Hi everyone. Hello. It's Dr. Deanne Ross here. I'm the Love Theorist. It's the 4th of November 2023 and for some time I've been wanting to share this book um, with you uh, because the person who wrote it 12 years ago is just one of the most inspirational people I know in the Middle East and I only know him through the book he wrote. I thought it was really timely given the great tragedy that's continuing to unfold in Gaza and I'm in the moment not going to make direct comments about what's happening in the Middle East with with the tragedy that's unfolding. But I thought the choice of this book from my bookshelf would say everything I would want to say through someone who has lived there, cared about the people in his own country of Gaza, but also for the Israeli people. And here we go. And if I do pause at any point, don't, don't kind of give up on me and uh, just just stay with us because I might be just moving from one part of the book to another to share something with you. So the book I'm wanting to share with you excerpts from and say a little bit about the author uh, and why, I'm, why it, I think he has messages that are still very pertinent for today. Uh, inspired by love of course is and non-violence is why I'm interested in his work his book is called I shall not hate it has a subtitle of a Gaza doctor's story on the road to peace and human dignity and you may already know about it the author's name is Isaldeen Abulesh and he wrote this book in 2012 and it was published uh, at that time in paperback by Bloomsbury. Now to get a little feel for how the book was uh, understood and promoted at that time, uh, I'll read you what was written on the back cover uh, to give to give that flavour. This is from Michael Mant- Mansfield at QC. A journey of exceptional humanity written with compassion, commitment and humility set against unimaginable odds, it consumes you at every step. Here's another comment on the back cover of the book. On July 16th, January 2009, just 12 weeks after their mother died of leukaemia, Isildine Abalacia's three oldest daughters and his niece were killed when their bedroom in the family home in Gaza was ripped apart by Israeli shells. I Shall Not Hate, which movingly recounts the family tragedy, also tells the life story of the Gaza doctor who treats patients on both sides in the conflict. From his impoverished childhood in a refugee camp to becoming one of the world's leading infertility experts, his has been an extraordinary life. Abelacia's powerful account is as honest as it is moving, showing one man's courage in the face of situations that would have defeated many of us. Above all, his memoir is not a bitter tale of hatred or rage toward his daughter's murderers, nor a cry for sympathy amidst a devastating family tragedy, but a powerful plea for reconciliation. The next comment on the back cover by Ellie Weisel, who is Nobel Peace Prize laureate. This story is a necessary lesson against hatred and revenge. The Daily Telegraph wrote, A great work of insight and compassion that tries to point the way towards peace and reconciliation. 
If there is to be peace in the Middle East, it will come through men and women of his giant moral stature and epic capacity for forgiveness. And the Jewish Chronicle wrote, Humbling, courageous and important, this heart-rending book has the power to change the Middle East with its love, humility, wisdom and extraordinary strength of character. So I thought I thought it would be helpful to set set the scene a little bit more about who the author is uh, by reading uh, how he chose to describe himself or how he chooses to describe himself at this time on his daughtersforlife.com website. And in in the describing of him, you'll get a really good sense of why this book written 12 years ago had such a big impact then and why it's still relevant now. So Isildeen was born and raised in a Jebeliah refugee camp in the Gaza Strip and he's overcome many personal hardships, including poverty and violence, to become one of the most outspoken, prominent and beloved educators and public speakers on peace and development in the Middle East. His personal, personal doctrine is that hate is not a response to war. Rather, open communication, understanding and compassion are the tools needed to bridge the divide between Israeli and Palestinian interests. All can live in harmony, he says, and all can reach their full potentials spiritually, emotionally, physically and intellectually. Dr. Abelage received his elementary and preparatory and secondary educations in the refugee school camp um, in Jabalaya, Gaza. As a child and an adult, he and his family endured the dismal and severely impoverished conditions of the refugee camp, as well as the constant humiliation and inhumanity associated with the siege and its checkpoints and travel restrictions. At all times, Dr. Abolish strived to maintain a balanced and positive perspective toward his experiences and the Israeli people, knowing that the latter are not representative of the sentiments that fuel one of the world's longest conflicts and the conflict that threatens overall world security. Isildin aspired to become a doctor from a young age. He earned a scholarship to study medicine at the University of Cairo and earned a diploma in obstetrics and gynaecology with the Ministry of Health in Saudi Arabia in collaboration with the University of London. He specialised in tra- with training programs in Israel, Italy and Belgium and earned a master's degree in public health, health policy and management at Harvard University. He was the first Palestinian doctor to receive a position at an Israeli hospital and for many years he worked as a senior researcher at the Gertner Institute in Sheba Hospital in Israel. When his three young daughters, Bessan, 21, Maya, 15, and Aya, 13, and his niece, Noor, 17, were killed by an Israeli tank in the Gaza on January 16, 2009, Abolash's family had already been grieving the loss of his wife to cancer four months earlier. His 2012 memoir, I Shall Not Hate, describes how the tragedy that befell Abolash's family inspired him to dedicate his work towards peace and conflict resolution between Palestinians and Israelis. The memoir has been translated into 16 languages, been widely received all over the world, and has decorated Abolash 
a nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011 and 2012 and 2013. Currently, Dr. Abelaisha is an Associate Professor at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto in Canada, where he teaches three courses in public health, women's health in countries of conflict, health as an engine for the journey to peace, and international perspectives on health services management. These courses focus on understanding the sources of social and political conflict and provide tangible and pragmatic ways to promote health as a strategy toward building health. So all of that is the descriptor um, on Daughters for Life website, which Abelesh set up uh, a year after his children and niece were killed. Um, And since that time, as it documents on the webpage, they have offered scholarships, awards and various financial assistance packages, programs to support young women in the Middle East to get an education. Okay, so let me now just come to the epilogue uh, in the actual book itself because I think it really does a nice uh, accounting for many of the things that I think are really worth focusing on as part of sharing this book with you. So the epilogue is on page 227, and I'm just reading from it now. My hope for this book is that it has embraced and embodied the Palestinian people and the tragedies we have faced, and has revealed the determination of the Palestinian people to face life's challenges and to be strengthened, not weakened by them. This book is also about freedom. We all must work toward freedom from disease, poverty, ignorance, oppression and hatred. In one horrifying year, my family and I faced tragedies that mountains cannot bear. But as a Muslim with a deep faith, I fully believe that what is from God is for good and what is bad is man-made and can be prevented and changed. The first blow was the loss of my dear wife Nadia in September 16, 2008. The blow that does not kill will strengthen you. My children and I survived Nadia's death, becoming stronger through our need to take on additional responsibilities and to help each other survive our individual suffering. Then in January 2009, I lost three precious daughters and a niece when an Israeli tank shelled my house in Gaza. When it is your children who have become collateral damage in a seemingly endless conflict, when you have seen their bodies literally torn apart, their young lives obliterated, how do you not hate? How do you avoid rage? I vowed not to hate and avoided rage because of my strong faith as a Muslim. The Quran taught me that we must endure suffering patiently. Just turning a page. (laughs) Forgive those who created the man-made injustices that cause human suffering. This does not mean that we do not act to correct those injustices. Our great philanthropists and leaders may live to see their names written on monuments in stone and metal. But our children and the poor only write their names in the sand, and only their survivors witness those names written in stone on their graves. I want to tell you what happened to my family in order to pay tribute to all the innocent people who have died due to conflicts throughout the world. 
through my foundation, Daughters for Life, I hope my daughters' names will be remembered and written in stone and metal on schools, colleges and institutions that support the education of girls. I want this book to inspire people who have lost sight of hope to take positive action to regain that hope and to have the courage to endure that sometimes long and painful journey to peace and a peaceful life. I learned from the Quran that the whole world is one human family. We were created from a man and a woman and made into nations and tribes so that we may know one another and appreciate the diversity that enriches our lives. This world must embrace much more justice and honesty in order to make this a better place for all people. I hope my story will help open your mind, your heart and your eyes to the human condition in Gaza and help you avoid making sweeping generalisations and false judgments. I hope to inspire people in this world afflicted with violence to work hard at saving human lives from destruction and destructive hostilities. It's time for politicians to take positive actions to build, not destroy. Leaders cannot be leaders if they are not risk takers. The risk they must take is not sending in the soldiers, but finding the moral courage to do the right thing to improve the world's human face in spite of criticism from haters. We must work diligently on this journey to peace. Hatred and darkness can only be driven out with light and love. Let us build a new generation, one that believes in advancing human civilization is a shared project among all peoples and the holiest things in the universe are freedom and justice. If we want to spread peace throughout this planet, we should start in the holy lands of Palestine and Israel. Instead of building walls, let us build bridges of peace. I believe that the disease affecting our relationships, our enemy, is ignorance of one another. Judging others without knowing anything about them is what causes tension, apprehension, just distrust and prejudice. This is a big mistake. We need to be open-minded enough to want to get to know each other, to take the time to ask simple questions. What are your traditions? What do you do for a living? What can you tell me about your family? By knowing one another on a personal level, we can begin to respect each other's differences, but more important, we can begin to truly see how truly similar we are. Just over the page now. At the borders of consciousness, there is a feeling that every stranger, anyone unknown to us, is an enemy who poses a threat to us, and this impression is present in the crypts of our souls, is like a localised inflammation. Ask a healthy Jewish person if he or she would share a room with a Palestinian, and the answer is usually no. Conversely, a healthy Palestinian is apt to shudder at the thought of sharing a room with a Jewish person. However, if they become ill and they are getting medicine atten medical attention in the same hospital, it becomes acceptable to share a room with them as long as their health needs are met. 
illness has now become a common thread between them. They suddenly have a topic of conversation that shares the same concerns, fears and family involvement. They may even take advice from each other. And who knows, maybe even keep in touch afterward to see how the other is doing. I know that other common threads can be found. People don't need to be ill in order to develop supportive relationships. If only people would become more open to one another. As a physician, I do not lose hope as long as the patient is alive. But when the patient's condition is deteriorating, I need to be willing and creative enough to search for a new course of treatment. We all need to search for the causes of our failure in the human journey to peace and discover why we are not happy, satisfied and secure. The cause is inside us, not outside us, in our hearts and minds. Hate is a chronic disease and we need to heal ourselves of it and work toward a world in which we eradicate poverty and suffering. If a free society cannot help the many who are poor, it cannot save the few who are rich from hating one another. First, we must join together to fight our mutual enemy, which is our ignorance of each other. We must smash and destroy the mental and physical barriers within each of us and between us. We must speak and move forward as one to achieve our brighter future. We are all living in one boat, and any harm to some people in this boat puts us all in danger of drowning. We must stop blaming each other and adopt the values of our, us and we. Talking is good, but it's not enough. We must act. People are suffering and dying every day. The smallest action is more resonant and crosses more boundaries than any words. As Martin Luther Jr., King Jr. said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. So what can you do? A lot. You can support justice for all by speaking out loudly to your family, friends, community, politicians and religious leaders. You can support foundations that do good work. You can volunteer for humanitarian organisations. You can vote regressive politicians out of office. You can do many things to move the world toward greater harmony. We all make mistakes and commit sins from time to time. I know that what I have lost, what was taken from me, will never come back. But as a physician and a Muslim of deep faith, I need to move forward into the light. Motivated by the spirits of those I have lost, I need to bring them to justice. There's a story I've been telling in my speeches that sums up the potential of one small act in the face of a situation that seems insurmountable. A man is walking along the seashore as the tide ebbs, revealing a multitude of stranded starfish. Soon he comes upon a young girl who is picking up the starfish one by one and returning them to the sea. So he asks the girl, what are you doing? And she replies, they will die if I don't get them back into the water. But there are so many of them, the man says. How can anything you do make a difference? The girl picks up another starfish and carries it to the sea. It makes a difference to this one, she said. 
I lost three wonderful daughters, but I am blessed with five other children and I have hopes for the future. I believe that Einstein was right when he said that life is like riding a bicycle. To keep balance, we must keep moving. I will keep moving, but I need you to join me in this long journey. What follows are a few of the lessons I have learned based on my life experiences so far. I share them with you in a spirit of mutual learning. Peace is humanity. Peace is respect. Peace is open dialogue. I don't think of peace as the absence of anything because that just puts it in a negative light. Let's be positive about what peace is rather than what it is not. The absence of war does not mean there is peace. Is a person who is ill at peace? Is a person filled with confusion and doubt at peace? Do all countries that do not engage in outright war live in peace? Hate is blindness and leads to irrational thinking and behaviour. It is a chronic, severe and destructive sickness. Hatred may be reversible if we allow it. Anger is not the same as hate. Anger can be productive. Feel the anger, acknowledge it, but let it be accompanied by change. Let it propel you toward necessary action for the betterment of yourselves and others. We do not need to merely accept what is happening around us. We all have the potential to be agents of change. I have every faith in women and their potential. Women by their very nature bring people together. It is time for women to take the lead. We need to give them every opportunity to be educated and have the chance to act on what they know is best for all of humanity. When your core values align with your heart, they become non-negotiable. If this is your guide, you can make decisions with the utmost integrity. If you always base your judgments on truth, you will earn respect and trust. To be seen by others as trustworthy is one of the greatest gifts you can receive. Judging people based on another's assessment of them does not leave you open enough to consider other possibilities. By exploiting others' weaknesses, you are missing the opportunity to see the great contributions they are capable of making. Our children's dreams can continue to be manifested through the success of others when we put the opportunities in place for them. Trust children's opinions. They are the most likely to speak the truth and far less likely to have a personal agenda. Good ideas become great ones when shared with others. It is not enough to sow the seeds of wisdom. We are called to action if we are to reap a bountiful harvest. Whatever you do, if it is done with a sincere heart and for the betterment of others, things are more likely to fall into place to make sure it happens as you envision it will. This list will continue to grow as I keep moving forward through my life, picking up many more lessons. just thought it might now be um, a nice step to come into his actual writing of his story a little bit uh, and so going to page 58 so you can kind of connect to the, the, the reality of his life in more detail and I'm, I'm going to page 58 and this is when uh, Abolish was 
a 15-year-old boy in 1970. And here's what he wrote. When I was 15 years old, I had the chance to work at Israel for the summer on a farm called Mashov Hadiyah, close to the town of Ashquilon. It was owned by the Mahumni family. For 40 days, I lived in the heart of a Jewish family farm. I did chores from 6 in the morning until 8 at night, working pretty much every daylight hour. I had never slept away from home before, except on that trip to Cairo, and I was so lonely that I can remember the aching in my gut to this day. Yet the family, Shabadic Jews, were very warm to me. Even when I did really naive things that they must have found perplexing. For in, instance, I was still dressing in hand-me-down clothes, donations from the humanitarian agencies that opened in Gaza. I had assumed that the clothes came to us because their former owners were so rich they threw their clothes away when they got tired of wearing them. So when I saw some piles of clothing on the floor of the Mahoney household, I assumed they were throwing the clothes away and I quickly gathered them and stored them in my knapsack so I could take them home to my mother. I had no idea I was actually collecting the family laundry. After a while, they asked me if I'd seen their clothing and to my great embarrassment, I had to confess. That summer left a powerful impression on me in many ways that an Israeli family would hire me, treat me fairly and show so much kindness toward me was, a complete, was completely unexpected. His experience was made all the more unforgettable by the events that followed the week after my return to Gaza. We were dirt poor refugees who had by this time moved out of the one-room shelter in which we'd been crammed and into a simple two-bedroom house in the, of the Jabalaya camp with a roof made from small cement tiles that would still leak whenever it rained. The public toilets shed by several families were still outside. Even though it was barely fit for human habitation, it was our home. At the time, Ariel Sharon was the Israeli military commander of the Gaza Strip. He was concerned that the roads that ran through the camp weren't wide enough for his tanks to patrol. His solution? Bulldoze hundreds of houses to the ground. There wasn't a thing we could do. The level of inhumanity was astonishing and has stayed with me to this day. That it was Ariel Sharon who ordered this destruction meant even more to our family as our land in Huag had been taken away from him. So when his tanks came to our street that night, my family shuddered at the thought of what could happen to us. The warning sound of their tracks crunching up the road awakened everyone. It was midnight. Families rushed to doorways to see long guns pointing at us from the turrets of the tanks. Now I wonder how those soldiers must have felt pointing their murderous weapons at little children, still rubbing sleep from their eyes and clinging to their mothers in doorways. Even then I recognised it as the quintessential display of power over the powerless. The houses along the street were simple, small, even primitive, but they were all we had. Sharon saw them simply as obstructions on a road that he wanted widened. I remember the feeling of being trapped, of peril coming to my home. Whatever type of house you have, if you have a house, it means you are not homeless. 
38 years later when I witnessed the destruction of Gaza during the Israeli incursion of December 2008 and January 2009. The same thought occurred to me. I saw people become homeless as bombs smashed into their dwellings and brought them tumbling down. And I realised that the pain of homelessness has never left me. So let me just come now to page 134. There's something I'd like to share with you here. This is talking more directly about his work as a physician. The Israeli patients I treat don't care that I'm a Palestinian doctor. They care about having someone to help them with their medical problem. The Gazans don't care that I work in Israel. They care about finding security in their lives and getting treatment for their children. And yet I continue to meet people who are shocked that a Palestinian doctor treats Jewish patients. There is a presumption that we hate each other, that each side wants the other side dead. I'm sure those sentiments exist among some of the people, but in my experience, it's not nearly the number of people the rhetoric suggests. The important thing about bridging the divide is admitting the truth, the facts around people's lives today. For example, the right of return, the topic everyone knows about but no one wants to discuss. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were deported from Israel when Israel became a state. Everyone knows this fact. The BBC program Panorama aired a documentary about the people who live close to my ancestral village today. You can hear individuals in the film saying, this is Abolish land. It's important for the Israelis to admit their moral and political responsibility and start building trust, which is the only way to arrive at an acceptable solution in which both sides can live in partnership and collaboration. We cannot continue to ignore the issue. There have to be solutions. It's about building ties, knowing each other, finding the way together. Of course it can be done. It's all a matter of will. But every time we seem to be approaching a level of trust that could bring us together, there's a new outbreak of violence and hopes are dashed again. I'm not alone in my belief in bridging the divide. There are peace camps and summer schools and surfers for peace and hip-hop rappers bidding out peace messages. There are endless school projects and websites devoted to peace and there's even a peace phone line. These are examples of coexistence throughout Gaza and the West Bank and Israel. You can find midwives on both sides of the line promoting peaceful coexistence. Look at the website of the Circle of Health International Coexistence in the Middle East. The Palestinian Project Coordinator Aisha Safi says, I've been volunteering and working for the Circle of Health International for the past three years and the experience has completely changed me. As a Palestinian woman, a mother and a midwife, not only has this organisation allowed me to help the women and children of my country, but it has also enabled me to deliver my message of peace and harmony. The Israeli coordinator, coordinator Goma Ben Moshe, says, Belonging to a group of midwives who are willing to volunteer, being part of a mutual dialogue with Palestinian midwives, fills me with energy and motivation. 
I believe women should take part in brokering peace and midwifery is an international language that can be spoken by all women in the world. One of the ways to alter the status quo is to look to the women and girls. It's easy to find thousands of men in favour of war. It's difficult to find five women who are inclined that way. It's clearly time to empower Palestinian women and girls to give them respect and independence and let them take the lead. Too many girls cannot get an education because of financial and cultural considerations. Too many families with limited resources give chances only to their sons even though their daughters are also serious and committed. I can understand their reasoning. A son is expected to support his parents in their old age while a daughter usually moves away after marriage to live with her husband's family. If a father doesn't have enough money to educate all his children, he might decide it's better to educate his sons, believing that his daughters will be taken care of by the families in which, into which they marry. But the Koran but doesn't differentiate between educating men and women. We have a saying that goes like this, The mother is the school. If you prepare the school with the right equipment, the students will be smarter and more successful and so will the nation. Consider the studies done by World Bank and the North-South Institute that have found that if you pay attention to the health and education of women in a community, the economy of that village will turn around. The World Bank has done these studies every five years since 1985. There is evidence beyond any doubt that investing in women and girls is a way out of poverty and conflict. I grew up watching the way women in Gaza raise their children. I saw the decision-making and the perseverance, but I understood that the women weren't being given the opportunity to bring their own expertise to the table. Women and girls are not able to rise to their potential in Gaza, and as a result, they cannot participate to their fullest. A healthy society needs wise and educated women. An educated and healthy woman will raise an educated and healthy family. We need to link education with health care, and the most effective way to do that is to make sure that education and health care are available to women. It's an investment that can shift not only the thinking, but the power in the Middle East. Removing the barriers that confront our women and girls could very well lead to our peaceful coexistence. So there we are. And I thank you for listening to this sharing of Zilden's Abolish's book, I Shall Not Hate. I think it's very timely uh, to, even though it's an, uh, more than 10 years old, I don't know that much has changed. And in fact, at this point in history, it's a devastating time in that area of the world and many people are suffering and much harm has been done. Um, and I think people like Abolish are inspirational and show the way to world peace through his very way of living in the world. So thank you for listening. I appreciate your time and bye for now.